Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm excited to have Mohit Gulati, who's a managing partner at ITI Growth Fund, uh, which is a semi-registered category two fund, uh, which is sector agnostic approach towards your venture investing. Uh, Mohit was earlier the co-founder of Altruist Ventures and Angel Network Oliphants. Uh, uh, Mohit has also done his engineering from University of Pune. Welcome to the show, Mohit. Hey, Rohit. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, glad to be part of this podcast. And I, I hope all your listeners have an entertaining next 25, 30 minutes up ahead. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, uh, Mohit, I was interested in how did you get into early stage investing and uh, how did you get to be a part of ITI Growth Fund? Um, so, you know, very funnily, actually, um, I started my career in institutional uh, equities, uh, more on the public side. So I started at a hedge fund in Singapore, okay. uh, then moved to the domestic Indian markets. Uh, I was part of institutional equity research and sales. Um, and, and the core problem I saw, you know, this way back in 2012 was... Uh, the, the good kept on getting better and bigger in India, which is exactly the case even today. So you have the likes of Unilever, which continue to grow larger. Yeah. Uh, but because of the lack of corporate governance and because of the lack of wings given to mid and small caps, uh, you just, you know, there, there was just no middle layer for India. So my fundamental belief was that if we have to create larger businesses, it has to be at a grassroots level where the core basics of the business from day zero when they start have to be aligned towards making it big, uh, which is how venture investing just happened to me. Uh, it was not even termed venture investments back then. It was right. more about uh, you know individual deals which were coming in and you were being part of them. Uh, and that kind of, you know, so I, my, my thesis revolved around working with management uh, helping them grow and scale businesses besides bringing in the capital myself. Um, and I just, you know, kind of have been doing that for the last eight, 10 years of my life. Got it. And, and you know, how did, uh, uh, I believe ITA Growth Fund is the, is the family office of Sun Farmers. So how did you get to be a part of ITA Growth Fund? So, um, I mean, you know, this is in a way my own entrepreneurial baby. Right. Um, prior to this, I uh, so you know, like most of my friends in the Indian VC ecosystem, right. uh, some of us got you know got into some very good juicy deals early on, uh, made a good amount of returns there, and then felt that hey, listen, we should you know move this a scale above and you know move to a fund structure. Uh, so I, I myself embarked on that uh, with Altius Ventures, which was like a maiden uh, sort of a Category Two fund that we wanted to set up. Uh, Real, made all the mistakes that I would tell entrepreneurs not to make. Uh, so partnered with the wrong co-founders, uh, had a massive monthly uh, burn, which was coming in. Uh, then very quickly in about 12 odd months, I realized that, hey, listen, this is not going to work out. Uh, I need to pivot. And that's when I shook hands with the ITI group. Uh, but with the core uh, learning that, you know, it's I don't want to be a family office fund manager. So I'll only take about 25% of the fund's total corporate uh, corpus from them while the remaining would be raised from elsewhere. Uh, but what ITI gives me is a bigger umbrella to sit out of, uh, gives me the base to, you know, to build this as an institutional practice. Uh, and that's how, you know, from, for, from ITI's perspective, they had 21 different businesses, five NBFCs. So a full stack financial services business that was getting built out. 
and on the asset management side they had a mutual fund coming up they had a category 3 fund uh, so our venture fund just kind of fit in perfectly our minds met our thesis on what we want to invest in uh, worked very well with the with the founders and the management there and that's how we did a, a jv between the two of us so today as things stand iti is a sponsor investor in the fund uh, we sit out of the iti office but we restrict them to only 25% participation in the growth opportunities fund scheme one okay and also you know uh... Uh, my my question is, you know, how how did you get on to raise the the, the rest of the seventy five percent, you know, fund fundraise? How how did that happen? So I mean, I think fundraising is possibly one of the most humbling experiences uh, most of us have gone through. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, what what we basically have done is we've taken initial capital from ITI, uh, built a great track record on the basis of that track record, which is institutional in nature. versus my own personal track record which was uh, not quote unquote uh, non institutional um, so using the institutional track record we've actually been able to garner uh, a larger corpus for ourselves but we still haven't haven't announced the final close so we still have a, a little bit of a leeway on fundraising uh, but as of now you know for, for us we were very clear from day one that uh, the quality of deployment is a lot more important versus the quantity of money that we've raised um, you know in india if you if you go around you know talking on how funds are raised it's primarily at the back of distribution wherein you have uh, larger banks or private wealth managers who distribute your product and charge you a fixed distribution fee uh, we on the other hand haven't gone that route uh, we've raised money through our connects through friends and family who've kind of believed in us uh, and that's really been our journey so most of that fundraising has happened on the bank of direct relationships with people interesting and uh, you know you happen to be the first investor in ecom express and uh, you you uh, other uh, portfolio investments in grab and uh, local bunia so how did you get to be uh, get to uh, invest into ecom express so ecom i mean i think each investment uh, the entity attached to it right. um you know if you're meant to be part of a journey uh, and i i call you know being invested in a company a journey because it's not about just cutting a check and saying hey listen here's the money go out make it big and you know give me astronomical returns right uh, if you if you go through my linkedin articles you'll realize that each one of these i've actually worked tirelessly with the management uh, and that's what has given me that delta on you know the, the amount invested there so ecom express was a funny story uh, 2012 bad markets i just moved out of equity markets at that time uh, and was just kind of wondering what next to do in life Right. Uh, and then you know we we so my my uh, my then partner and i set up a small institutional unit uh, called olifants capital which was primarily meant to be an investment bank uh, and we we just wanted to basically you know broker deals uh, and then we have five gentlemen who walk into our office uh, and say hey listen you know we want to set up a logistics business uh, dedicated to e-commerce and we are ex blue dot ourselves uh, can you help us raise a million dollars and uh, we were like okay billion dollars that's a 2% management uh, so a 2% investment banking fee uh, so it's a it's a good 12 lakh rupees starting income on day of zero let's take it up as a mandate uh, somewhere around you know taking it as a mandate to actually working with the guys with creating the first financial model which ecom express still continues to use uh, to taking a whole massive you know china versus europe versus us versus india uh, i think that belief in the management came to a point where we said 
hey, listen, this is no more investment banking deal. We don't want to make 2% here. We want to be invested ourselves. Uh, so at the age of 24, 25 back then, uh, basically whatever I had earned in my life, I put it on Ecom Express uh, because there was that much belief in the business that was going to be made. Uh, these were possibly, you know, the most experienced people in the field of logistics. Uh, so we just bet on those people and the rest is history. Interesting. And what are the kind of returns you got uh, out of Ecom Express? So um, exit one was at a 8x and exit two was at about 48 or 49x roughly. Wow. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, you've, you've invested as a, as an angel investor. So what was, what is the mindset change which happens when you, when you uh, shift from angel investing to institutional investing? So I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest mindset shift that happens uh, for me, like for, for us personally would be uh, the timelines that are, that we need to adhere to while you're an institutional fund versus when you're angel investing. Uh, that's number one, uh, because institutional funds have a finite lifetime of investment, which is which could range between four and a half years to about seven years at top. Uh, while as an angel investor, you can be invested for perpetuity and it doesn't make a difference because uh, there's no gun on your head. Uh, that's number one. And second is the fiduciary responsibility uh, before cutting each check. Uh, I think, you know, as an angel investor, you're more sentimentally and emotionally driven. While as an institutional fund, when you're managing third-party capital, uh, you are a lot more cautious about every investment that's being made. Uh, you don't let sentiments and emotions take the better of you. Your practical mind and thinking comes into place and you, you actually ask some very, very tough, uh, tough questions to yourself as well as the founders up ahead. So, I mean, broadly, I think those are the two very important, significant changes that happen. The rest, of course, you know, in terms of processes and all, your paperwork is a lot more... Uh, your team does a lot more work for you in terms of, you know, deep diving on the space and all of that is, you know, the basic hygiene kind of work, which is, I think, step number two, three, four. Uh, but number one is, can you modulate your mind to move from being a, being an angel investor to being an, an institutional investor? And that really is, is the big delta. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, how's ITICO different from a, any other micro fund, uh, which is there in the market right now? So first off, uh, I mean, we are not part of any angel syndications. Uh, even in my personal experience, when I've invested in companies, I've not let it be open to uh, any of the so-called incubators, angel groups, angel cities, chapters, none of that. Yeah. Um, fundamentally, I've not believed in that model of a herd mentality where, you know, people are doing your two and a half, five lakh rupee piggy banking on each other. There's this star, you know, so-called super angel who comes on board. Uh, that's not our thesis, you know, for us, uh, we, we genuinely believe that if the quality of your deployment is good within 12 to 18 months, people will start taking note of it and you will have larger funds coming in and knocking your doors, asking you, Hey, listen, uh, how do we get in? Uh, so be, without really proactively talking too much to the media or, you know, doing a lot of, uh, sort of a halla around the whole thing, we've just gone around, you know, we, we were amongst the. Uh, fastest deployers last year. We did nine investments in one year. Um, yeah. a, a very recent Bain report published us on that. And uh, it's surprising that they picked it up because we've actually not even announced half of those things. These guys actually took the effort to go to ROC and find our name. Uh, so we've just you know, kept our heads down, worked without, without, with practically nobody. 
uh, sourced some good quality transactions, uh, transactions which nobody else has seen. Uh, and that I would completely commend and laud my team for because uh, they've actually spent a lot of time on the ground meeting young founders, uh, meeting people who are very, very deeply embedded into the domains that they are investing in. And we've really gone very deep on the thesis with which we invest in businesses. Right. So, and, yeah, and, yeah. Sure. And, and how do you approach, you know, portfolio construction uh, with your fund? So I think, uh, you know, if, if you, I wish I had like a, you know, honest, uh, straight out answer for that. Uh, my portfolio today is more, is not by design. It just happened to us by serendipity. Uh, so there was no real plan that, you know, this is, these are the spaces that we're going to be invested in. Uh, we've just, you know, come across things and people and companies, which we've kind of started to like and love and just been invested in them. Uh, so it's, it's very funny that, you know, today out of our 10 investments, uh, practically, I think barring two, which are in the same space, all of them are in different spaces, like spaces where they can't even explore synergies with each other. Uh, that's mm -hmm. how far apart they are from each other. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's really in, I think in the, uh, in the early stage phase, you cannot have a method to madness. Uh, it's, it's just better to be part of madness. Uh, but if you can, you know, for, for me, my personal experience has been, if you can predict a trend before it is actually playing out, then you will end up making money. So when the whole world is running behind AI or ML, uh, okay. I mean, that was a story in the, you know, early 2000s or maybe 2012 was probably great to play it. But today, you know, there's no point uh, if you're running around that. Can you catch the next Ecom Express? Can you catch the next Oyo or the next Ola uh, right. or whatever, the next big thing? So for, for us, we've just tried to see that, can we catch that? Uh, our first investment, you know, uh, funnily was a company called RevOS. Uh, today, RevOS is the largest OS uh, powering two and three wheeler electric vehicles, uh, where we've done speedometer integrations with Chinese OEMs. Uh, our call was that EV will be big in India, but we don't want to take a call on a single EV manufacturer. We don't want to be uh, betting on the battery infrastructure because we don't know how that's going to pan out. Uh, personally, I think HP, BP, IOC and Reliance will own it. Uh, so what best way to play it? We said, let's play it software. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the call we took, which was way back in 2019, Jan of 2019. Interesting. And uh, uh, is ITI uh, uh, go a sector and stage agnostic? Yes, we are sector and uh, stage agnostic. Uh, I wouldn't say exactly stage agnostic. We, we typically like to come in early okay. uh, because if we want to work hand in hand with the entrepreneurs, we want to open up doors for them. Uh, we, we generally believe in you know rolling up our sleeves and doing a lot of leg pulling and the dirty work with, with our entrepreneurs, which typically would only happen in early to sort of a pre-series A stage. Uh, post that, I think most entrepreneurs don't really need their investors besides their capital. Correct. And uh, do you have any criteria where, you know, you uh, for every new investment, you know, uh, they have to pass any, any set, uh, set of criteria to make it into the portfolio? Not really. Uh, I mean, when I invested in Ecom Express, um, you know, I remember pitching to uh, almost 31 VCP funds in series A and they all would tell me that, Hey, listen, uh, you should have had a criteria on the age limit at which you should be funding people. Right. You funded people who are 55 years of age. Have you lost it? Right. And I was like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what's the age because an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur um, right. and they can be, 
you know, seasoned ones or they can be new ones. Uh, it doesn't matter. So I think uh, we don't really have any criteria as such. Uh, the, I mean, the fundamental thesis around every investment that I make is uh, I like to be invested in truthful people. Uh, so if, if my entrepreneur and I share a bond of trust, uh, then we back them to the hilt. But the day that trust breaks, uh, and it's happened, you know, it, it happens to all of us. It's happened to me also. Uh, the day that trust breaks, uh, you not only lose money, you also end up losing uh, your mind peace. So I think if I have to broadly put it, the one criteria I look at is just being invested in trustworthy people. Interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, does the check size also vary by deal? Uh, or do you, do you have yes. a, a certain check size across? So uh, we have a slightly broader check size. Uh, we could, we've could we done a deal which is at about 120K, which is our lowest ticket uh, until now. Uh, and we can scale it up all the way to about 750K. Correct. And, and, Which is uh, a pretty large range. Correct. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, when it comes to fund managers, you know, what, what mistakes do, 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 they take, do they make when they're assessing market uh, or market size of, of a particular idea? So I think um, the unfortunate part uh, in the Indian VC ecosystem, or I am only talking about unlisted here, I won't talk about listed. Right. Uh, the, the unfortunate part about the Indian ecosystem is uh, people take a call on their friendships with uh, fund managers at larger funds and they, they start looking at investments and deals on what would appeal to uh, one of their peers at a larger fund. So can oh. they be invested in that and then offload equity to their larger peer? Right. Uh, that is fundamentally flawed because uh, in times of Corona, uh, you, your larger peer has already put his hands up. He was actually the first one to put his hands up and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to do anything for the next six months. So uh, you took a call on me coming in later, but hey, I'm not going to do anything. Uh, so, you know, that's, I think, uh, for, for us, you know, the reason why we take pride in being, uh, in doing what we do is fundamentally, we believe that if you build businesses on the right ideology of, showcasing some parts to profitability, showing cash flows coming in, uh, you, in, in, in times like these, you can actually wither this entire storm without need of substantial capital. Uh, if you look at my journey at Ecom Express, Grab, a bunch of these other businesses, uh, humor me, you know, where I've put in a small one crore check. Uh, right. You know, March ended, they'll do a 25 crore top line with an eight, eight crore bottom line. Uh, oh. This is in this year, by the way. Right. So uh, if you can, you know, invest in businesses which have a, you know, which have a revenue projection, which they can meet even in the toughest of times, I think that will be the differentiating factor from being a good fund manager to being an opportunistic fund manager. Yeah, got it. And, you know, you, you, you've, you've talked about coronavirus and, you know, it's, it's been a difficult time for, uh, for uh, you know, small uh, businesses and uh, even, uh, you know, world across, uh, there's been, looks like there could be a res- big recession coming. Or So what, what kind of advice would you give to founders who are looking to, uh, to either raise capital or they would want to uh, scale up the operations in the next uh, six to uh, 12 months, or even would want to, uh, you know, maintain the, the sort of growth they would want to project uh, over the next coming months or years. Sure. So I think uh, you're right. I mean, you know, I think global growth is going to take a massive dent uh, in the next few months. It's already taken it for the first, uh, first 
quarter of this this final this calendar year and i think there's going to be another quarter or two of pain uh, so in terms of you know if i have to be very candid to founders uh, i'm going to tell them that hey listen if you're burning an abnormal amount of money and you don't have too much to uh, to save you with the burn then you are heading for trouble because you're going to run out of capital and no one's really investing today uh, and i don't see people doing large ticket deals in the next 6 or 8 months everyone's on a wait and watch uh, the world's just paused literally we are sitting at home in quarantine uh, okay. we are you know headed for a tough time uh, but that said there are opportunities emerging particularly for countries like india uh, because the world's woken up and realized that you know our dependence on china is just way too much Right. Uh, so can we look at an alternative to china which can produce at scale has a low cost of labor and can meet the same performance and safety standards as what china did um, and i think india is the answer to world right? Uh, right it's not brazil it's not spain it's not none of the emerging pigs economy and nobody can do it at the scale at which india can put it uh, we have a massive talent pool here which is waiting and raring to get into you know a full time employment so if you are a, into a business which can you know capitalize that change from china to india uh, you are in a good space uh, i mean I, i i continue to believe that you know for a business like oyo right which is of course scaled down a lot because of covid uh, there still exists a massive opportunity because the model that they have proven in india to some extent can be taken world over uh, it's already been there so um, my advice to entrepreneurs is that 6 to 8 months is going to be a bumpy ride uh, it's actually going to be a shit storm out there uh, think of it that there is no world capital available for you can you put your head down and wither the storm because if you do wither it out and if by chance you can showcase even like a 5% growth in this next 7 or 8 months uh, you will be a prime candidate for a larger check coming in the the day we start seeing green shoots to recovery Oh, that's that's pretty good advice. And um, uh, you know, more uh, a couple of months back, I had Nishal Shetty for, from Vazirex uh, uh, on episode number one twenty six, who recently sold uh, his company to Binance. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he said that if he could go back, he would focus more on distribution, um, since you know, Nishal being a product guy. So. you know what do you think about distribution versus product and what what can founders do to adopt a more distribution first mindset so i mean uh, <clears throat> see if if you're talking about you know a consumer facing product uh, right. distribution channels are different if you're talking about a saas play uh, distribution channels are different so you know i understand consumer products i'm going to talk more on that side right. uh, versus you know a, a very deep saas sort of a play um what we've seen you know we've been investing in evolve snacks which is a packaged healthy snacking company uh but unlike you know the green snacks or the other guys out there you know where we've uh, we've actually done a product first and distribution following sort of thing okay. where uh, we've learned that you know uh, and for for me you know fundamentally i'm a i'm a india guy you know i understand right. uh, i i don't want to use the word bharat guy because that's just a buzzword which right. uh, some of our peers at larger vcs now love, love to use on twitter Um, none of them have actually even stepped out of their offices and been on the ground right hey. so it's funny when they, when they talk about bharat by making comparisons to tiktok and saying hey listen bharat is emerging with talent uh, sorry that was kind of just digressing from <laughs> from the topic there <laughs> hey. uh, but going back on the product right uh, i think as indians fundamentally we love bang for buck uh, hey. so if you can offer me a product which is 
either better than the than the one I was using, or gives me higher grammage or gives me something more than the one I'm using, but at the same price, if not lower, which basically means more bang for the buck, then I will consume it. Uh, it's just a matter of bringing it in front of my face. Am I am I ready to experiment? I'm absolutely ready. I think Indians are the most non-rigid consumers you'll ever meet. Uh, we have, you know, and most of the millennials, right? So just because our parents consume parleji doesn't mean we are consuming parleji, right? right. Uh, we want to move to cookies. We we're probably looking at Theobroma cookies. We're looking at, you know, new age things like Swedish House Mafia and all sorts of things. So uh, if you can get your product market fit right, uh, there is ample amount of distribution available, which will help you scale up. Uh, everyone who was in, you know, sort of legacy old businesses is willing to give you wings to take it higher up. But unless your product doesn't appeal to the masses, there's no point even talking about a distribution strategy. Again, Got very it. particular to new age consumer products and FMCG sort of a business. Got it. So, so get the product for, uh, right first and then, then focus right. on yeah. For yeah. I mean, look, look, look at Zoho, right? I mean, great product. It just, you know, has been like wildfire for them. I, I think even they didn't ever envisage that this is the kind of monthly uh, subscription that they're going to uh, garner from it. And this is, you know, a very, very India-centric business that was made out, right? Or Khata Book. Uh, yes. Great product. What a, what a problem solver it is. And this is a guy who's, you know, literally sat there in, in a shop with his father, realizing that these are the, that is a guy who knows Bharat, right? He's literally been there in a tier three city, uh, seen the pain points of his father. I think, you know, Ritesh is a, is a product first guy, right? I mean, Oyo basically solved a massive pain point for two, three, four star hotels. Um, so you got the product right, which is basically just bring uniformity in the whole thing. And then the distribution just flows in, right? The whole world wants to attach to you. Uh, right. So, so Mohit, uh, you know, a VC, uh, what, he, what he sells is an access to money and expertise, which is, uh, which makes it a very people intensive business, but is it possible to build a moat uh, for a VC firm uh, like yours? So I think the, you know, the biggest moat uh, and more so it's kind of getting proven now in these tough times is uh, the ability to be part of, uh, you know, so not just being invested in, in a fund, but the ability to actually be able to bring in strategic inputs uh, or connects within your own businesses. Uh, so I'll give an example. We have a, you know, LP in our fund uh, who's in the packaged, uh, who's in the packaging industry. Uh, a very large packaging company. And uh, they, they, they like to take active participation in some of our uh, invest portfolio companies, uh, where so much so that they've actually gone out and not only supplied packaging material, but also done a lot of learnings back from our startup in order to better their own packaging uh, for larger brands. So um, I think, you know, for, for me, that was like a little bit of a symphony that got played because this is my investor who is talking to a, a company I'm invested in. Uh, technically, there's no reason for both of them to even meet each other or talk to each other, right? Because right. Uh, there's a financial relationship on one. Uh, there's actually a financial relationship on both sides and I'm just a bridge to achieving that. Uh, but the fact that, you know, there is that access given to both of them, uh, which has brought in a betterment for both businesses. Um, I think something like that uh, going forward on, you know, on a larger, more scalable way, uh, would be fun to kind of access into uh, where you can, you know, actually have, you know, LPs working directly or working uh, hand in hand with portfolio businesses. And very, very few VCs or PEs in 
you know uh, in the world actually allow that sort of a connect to happen correct yeah and that's a, that's a very unique take uh, uh, on that and, uh, I, I, you know i was interested in how much attention uh, do you pay to cat to ltv uh, ratio in the early days and, uh, and does it really matter yeah so you know as a angel investor it didn't really matter as much uh, now it kind of uh, does matter uh, but are we anal about it are we like hounding our entrepreneurs uh, maybe not uh, we understand that each business will have its own inflection and growth curves uh, there will be moments in, in time when uh, businesses can actually just have like a you know paytm demonetization moment right, right. Uh, i mean honestly paytm would be nothing if it wasn't for mr modi <laughs> uh, right so uh, maybe covid 19 is that moment for some of our portfolios like i just finished a call uh, this afternoon right. uh, with, with with you know a company of ours which is in the cardiac monitoring space using a wireless ecg right. uh, which is a six lead ecg which is six times better than the apple watch uh, and they are actually working directly now with some of the laboratories which are trying to find a cure for the covid 19 uh so what's happened is you know if you look at how medicines are developed the life cycle of developing a medicine can be as high as 8 years with right. multiple human and animal testing but in extraordinary times like these that 8 years becomes comes down to 8 weeks or even lower um and we've just kind of capitalized on that and gone out and you know uh, figured a way to make money and be very very uh, present in that space so uh, could we have envisaged this for 103t you know even 4 months ago we couldn't have yes uh, but there are these black swan events which is uh, which can just open up a new plethora of opportunities so uh, i think you know as as good investors our job is to just be by the side of our entrepreneurs uh, let them figure their own thing out uh, i think that is essentially you know your job right which is to bet on people who can figure their own shit out uh, if you're betting if you're actually you know hounding them and telling them that this is what you should do uh, then you know what's the point of betting on them correct first while example of what kkr has done with uh, siddhartha from ccd i mean the guy right. built the largest coffee franchise in this country correct uh, we may debate whether we like it or not today but in 2003 when you and i probably sipped our first institutional coffee franchise uh, cafe coffee day was what taught indians to consume coffee uh did he build a great brand yes he did uh but can you hound him to get an exit for you maybe not yeah no absolutely sadata has been a, a, a you know a great uh a ceo and it's unfortunate how it played out but interesting yeah. you point about covid uh and you know are there other sectors other than health sector like it could be education uh any any other sector which you feel you know is going to benefit out of uh Uh, about uh, out of the covid uh, uh, virus okay so i don't understand edtech at all uh, okay. because you know i've i've seen the same graph pan out for every single edtech company on planet earth which is this massive hockey stick growth curve right. a nice little plateau for a few months weeks years and then a massive spiral down every you know i can i can challenge you every single edtech company in planet on planet earth has had the same graph and more so in india so india you know had like things like educom and aptech way back in the early 2000s uh, look okay. at where they are today uh, i mean look at where byju's is byju's is firmly on that plateau and is firmly going to start its journey downward um, and i know 
some of the friends of mine who are invested there, they, if they hear this, they're going to curse me. Okay. But, uh, you know, is it worth $5 billion uh, when you put a gun on parents' head and say, pay eight and a half lakh rupees? It's not. Okay. Is it sustainable? In, in COVID times, do you think parents want to pay eight and a half lakh rupees for their child's education? Uh, I mean, boss, yeah. the child doesn't have a future, boss. Right. You can't, <laughs> and you're not making money. Right. So uh, you will start seeing defaults there. Uh, so e- education is something I don't, I mean, yes, maybe theoretically speaking, more people will spend time at home uh, and try to upskill themselves. So you'll have uh, the upgrades of the world or the Udemy's of the world uh, kind of capitalizing on it. Uh, but again, is it a very long drawn sort of an opportunity or is it just a temporary two, three month phenomena? We don't really know. Uh, what I really see opportunity in is, uh, and I was speaking to Amit Agarwal from Amazon very recently. Okay. Uh, one of the biggest opportunities we see is if you look at the apparel space or the or the whole branded accessory and apparel space, uh, India just doesn't have a world-leading brand out there. Right. right. While the US continues to churn out billion-dollar brands literally out of thin air, Tommy Hilfiger which is one of the largest in the high fashion space, gets all its apparel made in Bangladesh, Indonesia, Philippines, and India, right. um, but continues to build it all in the US, right? India doesn't know how to build brands. What do we have? We have Peter England and right. Louis Philip and John Players. Are these brands? These are pieces of shit. Right. So as China slows down or as dependence on China slows down, uh, I think India has a great opportunity in the textile space. Uh, can we create like 10 very large world leading brands? We absolutely should. Let the US slow down. They have 330 million people consuming. You have a billion point three. Correct. Why can't the next fast fashion brand be something better than FBB by Big Bazaar? No, absolutely makes sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, I quickly want to do the top three. Do you have any favorite business book? Do I have uh, any favorite business book? So uh, I'm, I'm a diehard sucker for autobiographies. Uh, so I, I actually spend a lot of time uh, reading about how people and their lives have gone around and how that has changed the way they work. Uh, so I, I absolutely love Shoe Dog, uh, which is uh, by Phil Knight. Right. It's, the, uh, it's the Nike story. Um, so that's one of my favorite, all-time favorite books. Um, Zero to One is like my Bible. So okay. anyone and everyone who's ever interviewed with me, uh, not just at ITI Growth, ever, you know, even for an internship, you can only get into my organization if you build a summary of zero to one, which appeals to me. Okay. Right. So that's like a Bible. Uh, and th- there's a very interesting book, which uh, your readers should, you know, list, uh, sometimes spend time and read. Uh, it's called Freakonomics. Uh, it's a rogue economist who explores the hidden side of everything. Uh, it's a very, very interesting book. I'll put that in the show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time when you, when you started working on ITI uh, fund, what, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Um, I think nothing really here. Um, zero regrets. Um, I wish I could, um, I had the art of uh, better storytelling and raising a much larger corpus, uh, you know, sooner than I, I could or I am. Uh, but besides that, I mean, I think, see, I'm 32, right? Uh, and I want to do this for the next 14 years of my life. Uh, at 46, I'll retire. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've kind of chalked it all out. Um, so I think there's no regret. Uh, what, what, I, what I take pride in is the fact that the, 
the building blocks of this business have been right um, and which were you know a lot of learnings put together to actually get the building blocks right um, so no really no regret but um, i i do want to you know learn the ability of uh, attracting high quality talent which can stick around uh, the unfortunate part today is that the younger talent is very opportunistic uh, yes. so everyone is looking for that pre mba two year gig uh, and then they just bounce off um, so it's it's i think i'm just trying to still search and focus on people who can you know stick there for the longer run got it and uh, do you have any favorite online tools for example gmail slack zoom I mean, I absolutely love Zoom. Uh, besides the fact that at, at the 45-minute mark, they somehow just throw me out. I'm guessing I'm not a premium subscriber. Uh-huh. Um, but um, and Gmail, of course. I mean, I think G Suite. Uh, all of us are using it. Uh, but there's this pretty interesting startup in Bangalore, and he's been. I mean, he's actually one of the more determined founders I've ever met. Uh, he's got a pretty interesting tool for VCs called Tag Hash, which basically allows us to export uh, our deals into. a common gmail uh, sorry into a common g suite uh, folder and automatically the entire team gets access to it versus us sending emails to each other and you know spoiling bandwidth on all sides right so i'm like sending a 5mb email to my colleague who in turn is downloading a 5mb email uh, your everything is kind of synchronized uh, without even the need of you know uh, any kind of manual intervention uh, so such kind of you know hacks which have supported uh the already existing tools are what i would like to pre- uh, run around with now, is is it taghash.co or is it taghash.io i think it's taghash.io i'm not too sure what is the website though they also have an app got it i'll put that in the show notes and uh, you know what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about ita group i mean i'm i'm possibly the most social entrepreneur uh, most social uh, guy out there so there's linkedin there's facebook there's instagram uh there is whatsapp there's email there's everything correct we will we'll put that in the show notes so that you know uh, founders can can reach out to you directly uh, yeah. uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show and speaking to us i really enjoyed thank speaking so much, thank you so much pleasure thanks for listening to the life self mastery podcast where we teach you how to start and grow your online business for more information visit rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com